Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription, trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon show. Uh, excited to be tasting, along with Jimmy Sharp, some John Emerald Spirits. Uh, John Emerald Distilling Company will be trying five of their expressions. So, Jimmy, thanks so much. But before we get too deep into this, my glasses are empty. <laughs> Uh, and, and we don't like to sit around with empty glasses. So you want to give us a rundown on what we're going to be tasting and maybe what the best order to taste is in. Absolutely. So what you've got there is our, um, our single malt whiskey, which is kind of our flagship spirit, uh, John's Alabama single malt. You've got our, so you've got the aged rum, right? The Spurgeon's barrel aged rum. Yes. Uh, yes. With we the do. rooster on the front. Yeah. Yep. And, then you've got our muscadine brandy. Yep. And then our two purveyor series whiskeys, which are um, our double wood rye and double oak bourbon. Um, I would recommend we start with those. Okay, cool. Kind of, and then go through the brandy and the rum, and then hit the single malt last, maybe. Perfect. Uh, I can sure do that. So I'm gonna. We're starting with the bourbon. Uh, if you're pouring yeah. the rye, I think the rye. Yeah, yep. Yeah. The rye, and then uh, I'm going to go ahead and pour them both. That way, I try not to get confused. And the bourbon. So, Jimmy, as I'm pouring this, um, so you guys are uh, just down the road from me, uh, from Atlanta. So you're in Opelika, Alabama. I guess uh, born and raised uh, Alabamian. Uh, for the most part, I was born in Missouri, but my father was a military man, so we moved around a little bit. But spent most of our time in in two different first in the army in Fort Rucker, Alabama, and then in the air force in Montgomery, Alabama. So I spent most of my time in Alabama growing up. Um, and we moved to Opelika specifically to open the distillery. We were trying to open in Montgomery, had some problems with the securing a facility and, you know, just problems with the legalities and whatnot. And we just kind of expanded our search and really fell in love with Opelika. It's a great little town, super close to Auburn university. So we have the, we're just close enough to a big university to have some advantages from that, but we're just far enough away enough to have the problems that would come with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, it works out nicely, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we, that's where we landed here, but, uh, but definitely this is home now. And we, we, we certainly love, we love it where we are real supportive community and just a, just a great place. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So, so how did the, uh, I, I've obviously done, I've read a little bit about uh, John Emerald and kind of how you get, guys and the how and the why you got started uh but for folks that may not uh, may not be familiar with john emerald um, and the sharp family you want to give us the uh kind of the absolutely um so we started about we opened about seven years ago Are you, you got me yeah we're good yeah. Yep. okay okay i had a little you just, freeze up on my if, he, if he freeze, no, it's it's him freezing. If he freezes, just ignore him. You know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, about seven years ago, me and my father started the distillery together. Um, it's something we had talked about doing for years. I got interested in whiskeys while studying my family history, which is Scottish, and you can't learn about Scotland without learning about Scotch on the way on it, on, either on purpose or accident. And uh, I would say it was on purpose for me. But uh, sure. So we. Uh, 
I had an interest and kind of kind of grew from there. But uh, I had a, a subcontracting company before this, and I was on the road excessively. I was only home about a week out of every month. So when I found out my first child was on the way, I think I was in Brazil when I got that news and uh, that, that we were expecting and felt a little too far away to get that kind of news. So I decided, well, that was as good as reason as any, any to go ahead and pull the trigger on the on this idea. And since the future of our family was kind of the catalyst to open the distillery and move forward, we, we went to the past of our family to name it. So John Emerald is my grandfather's first and middle name. John Emerald Sharp is his full name. Cool. And then many of our products and most of our products have, are also named after a different ancestor. So it's kind of like making spirits to honor their spirits, I guess you could say. And then about that time when we started getting close to, uh, to, uh, you know, making that decision, I, I managed to get a, really went for just a short uh, week long kind of course immersion experience at Springbank Distilling in, in Campbellton, Scotland. And then I kind of uh, sweet talked my way into a little longer impromptu uh, internship. So I got to, which was really invaluable because I got to stay and kind of work and do the labor at that scale. It's one thing to tinker around in your garage, not that I ever, illegally distill whiskey in my garage, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's a different thing to do it at full scale and really put your, put your hands to the labor at, at, at that, at that level. And so that was invaluable to me to, you know, just really make sure that I, I liked it and, and turns out I really do. And so it's a lot of fun and we've had a blast, you know, opening up and growing the, growing the distillery. And also now the, the big learning curve is trying to grow the brand and that kind of thing. And just, you know, the, learning those, those, those kind of, learning curves and pitfalls to get around. So. Yeah, sure. In, any, I mean, was there, was there any, so your yourself and your dad, right. Kind of, uh, you've got this, this brain trust and Hey, we're going to go, we, we're going to start making whiskey. Were there any, uh, any surprises kind of along the way as you're, you know, kind of getting educated and get, you know, kind of up to where you need to be is like, okay, we're, you know, we, we've got the intellectual knowledge or intellectual know-how, if you will, to be able to make it. But, but I mean, what, what were some of the, the, the hurdles that's like, eh, I don't know if that's really the direction we want to go. Uh, I mean, there's lots of legal stuff, obviously a lot of licensing kind of things. And every time you think you had it figured out, there was another agency with a, another hoop to jump through. The funniest one was we had um, just initially getting our federal license. The TTB, the, the federal agency that regulates us, said, uh, okay, you're going to have to have, you have to already have your still and everything built uh, before we'll give you the license. And I was like, okay. So I went back to the state, and the state tells me, Alabama says, well, if you own a still without a, without a federal license, you're a criminal. So we just it's right. like, well, this is a terrible circle that requires me to be a criminal for about six months while I'm building out a distillery, but we got it worked out and it was fine. But it was, uh, for a little bit there, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, <laughs> but, um, we got some conflicting information here for sure. That's, uh, that's kind of one of those, like, uh, I feel like it's a, a got me moment, right. Or a gotcha moment. It's like, I see yeah, what yeah. you're trying to do over there. <laughs> we, we were trying to smooth it out. The, uh, one of the agents in Alabama was making some very uncomfortable jokes about how easy he's, he appreciated us, but it was going to be a real easy arrest for him. And, and uh, cause he'll know exactly where the still is. And I'm like, that's, I know you're kidding, but I'm, I'm reasonably uncomfortable with your jokes right now. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's really funny if you're, still. yeah, it's like, it's funny if you're telling the joke and you're not the, uh, the butt end of it. Right. That's so, right. Uh, so Cal, this good, is good your, stuff, this is your kind of rye right here. And the smokiness in this rye. Uh, well, it, it is. And I'm, yeah. I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between the bourbon and the rye. So, Jimmy, I, I think with the two purveyor series, 
Um, I think they're a little different from the other three that we're going to be sampling, right? Meaning that there's three made in-house, and then I think you may be uh, working with some partners on the two purveyor series. Is that right? That's right. That's right. We're, the, the purveyor series, both of them are contract distilled for us out of uh, South Carolina. It's a company that just makes for other brands um, okay. contract distills. Uh, our intention is to lay down you know, 100% in-house bourbon and rye, and we're Excuse me, we're actually shopping right now for the, the the little extra equipment we need to to bring all that in. And but the idea of the Purveyor series was there we could kind of move a little faster, get them to market, and do something you know something fun and unique with the with each each category and um, that and also to help kind of fund our way into the equipment we the extra equipment we needed to and also fund our way into laying down the whiskey and be able to wait on it. But in both cases, we did we, we buy it from. We have a contract made and buy it out of South Carolina, but then we age it here at, in, at John Emerald Distilling, mm. and we do some. We're doing some fairly unique things on both the aging processes. The probably more so with the rye than the bourbon, but the but still with the bourbon as well. The bourbon we it's it's a it's a balanced bourbon, so it's equal parts wheat and rye. Um, after the corn, it's fifty five percent corn. Uh, 20 rye, 20 wheat, and 5% barley okay. the, is the grain bill on that. Then we, it's aged, of course, it's aged initially in charred oak barrels. And then we do, and that's uh, two years on that. And then it's six months on a finished aging. And with the, with the, and that's the, the two years equal on both, but um, the rye and the bourbon, but the, the finish age is where they differ in the aging. The bourbon is aged on toasted oak. After that, we felt like the toasted oak, help pop some of the caramel and vanilla notes mm -hmm. without adding any more char or, mm -hmm. or avoiding kind of smoke notes. Yep. Sure. Whereas the rye, we went with charred pecan wood. And that's just, we're just surrounded by pecan orchards where we are. And, I mean, pretty much all the deep South is, but um, we're, we just got a lot of them here. So we uh, thought let's, we like to play with pecans as much as we can. And we uh, just used the wood and charred it and, and it's added a really nice nutty quality, but also a strong smoke flavor to it. This, um, yeah, this rye, the smokiness of this rye cow, we can, we got to make a, a nice cocktail coming up for, um, uh, for Labor Day with this with some cookouts. I mean, that would be perfect for, for smokings. Yeah. Yeah, this is, um, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the bourbon is, is great, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, this rye is really, it's, I'm getting that, that, that mint, uh, on the nose. I'm definitely picking up some of that pecan in there, that, uh, kind of smoky pecan, almost the, you know, the shell, if you will. But yeah, really, uh, really nice job on the finishes with this. Thanks. Awesome. The bourbon, our, our goal with the bourbon was to kind of create a, uh, since we were sourcing it to begin with, we're trying to create both in price point and in quality, uh, just a really solid, what I would call utility bourbon, you know, just a great sipping bourbon. You can mix it, do whatever with it. It's not breaking the bank to get it. It's, uh, you know, it's, you utilize just like I say, like all around like a utility bourbon is the best way to say it with the, with the rye. I think we went a little more, let's put a more, a little more of a unique spin on it and, and kind of, you know, just, uh, I, yeah, I'd say you did it. Both of these, by the way, are coming in at 86 proof. So, uh, you know, I, I don't on the nose, uh, I would say, yeah, I'm getting kind of that 86. It, I wouldn't say it's drinking hotter, but uh, I wouldn't say it's drinking hot, but I do, I definitely getting a little more punch in this than, than I would expect from an 86 or which I I'm totally okay with. Right. Not, not in a bad way. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, get some good, um, kind of that peppery, 
uh, cinnamon disc uh, on, on the rye. So, yeah, really, uh, really nice stuff there. Yeah, you got a pretty extensive. I was checking out your website. So, by the way, it's uh, johnemeralddistilling.com. Yeah, it looks like you, you the facility, one, I don't know why I haven't been there yet. It's your maybe, I don't know, an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes away. So, um, and I played golf just across the street from you or down the road at, at, uh, at National RTJ oh, wow, yeah. many, many times. So, I, so I, I don't know why or how I've missed you. Uh, I promise it wasn't on purpose, uh, but I, I was looking through your website. You got a pretty extensive uh, cocktail menu there. looks like you and uh, you're doing, I guess are you guys still doing tours five days a week we now. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we do. I mean, what's well, one of the reasons we make as many different, because we do a, you know more than a lot more um, offerings, I guess you'd say than what, what we have here today, but because in, the law in Alabama is we can serve in our front room or our tasting room as a, as a bar, effectively like a bar, as long as we made the juice. Okay. Or gotcha. distilled or produced, as long as we bottle it, essentially. But um, so that's one reason we make so many things. In the beginning, we started off just making a gin or something like that. And our intention was just to sell it up front. And then it, we, it wins an award or two and we're like, well, I guess we distribute gin now or whatever, that kind of thing. Or it, or it was popular right. enough to start the, the store down the street, wanted to get it or whatever. And that kind of thing. So it just grew from there. Pretty much everything we make right now is distributed on some level outside of the place, but everything started is not being distributed basically just, just strictly sold here. But, so we do a real wide cocktail list. We do seasonal cocktail menus that come out and, and we have a lot of fun with that. It's a great, you know, way for us to kind of introduce people to the brand. We love when people come to visit us and they can, you know, take a tour and check out the, the spirits and do tasting flights or cocktails, whatever they like. We've even started making a tiny little bit of beer. Cause it was my, we needed my dad's, uh, although my dad opened it with me, he's, he also, uh, he's at the point he gets to do what he wants to do, not what he has to do. Nice. That makes sense. <laughs> and, uh, I wouldn't say he's retired from the distillery, but he's not, uh, not forced into any kind of unpleasant labor or anything like that. So, but he's a, uh, he's always been a home brewer. So we basically moved his home brew setup into the distillery. I call oh, it nice. the keep, keep butts and seats beer. So if you got a big group coming in that, you know, somebody's like, well, I only like to drink beer. You know, like, well, all right, we got a beer for you. Here, here you go. Well, the rest right of it. your friends who are full grown ups can now have whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Right. So is it uh, under the same label? Is it John Emerald brewing or John it, is, Emerald beer? It, is, it is, it is just John Emerald, uh, brewing we, we don't we have at this point it's, it's only a one barrel system so we don't even name the beer nor you. do we just distribute it in any way it's just it's strictly just sold by the tap on tap here but it's yeah, a very nice sure. beer my dad's he's been brewing beer for about 20 years so he's really good at it cool oh, so it was inevitable you guys were going to make liquor one way yeah. or the other that's right yeah awesome man yeah that's uh that, that's pretty cool i'm gonna move through uh, check out I'm this black gonna... cock here cal spirit forward it says it's uh the purveyor's rye fig simple black walnut bitters and and um and other bitters in there that sounds uh pretty fantastic as well that that's a that's a popular one Tiff. that's a guy by the name of chuck who's our head bartender right now he came up with that one it's a that's been a crowd favorite for sure nice sounds good yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and you mentioned it, Jimmy. So we've got uh, we've got five expressions uh, from John Emerald that we're going to be tasting. And, and, you know, you've got gin, you've got vodka, you've got numerous other uh, um, 
expressions that you guys are making. Was there, when you got into this, I mean, was it like, Hey, here's where we're going to start. And it said, well, let's do, I mean, you know, could, anybody can make vodka, right. And then vodka is going right. to turn into whatever it's going to turn into down the road. Right. What, right, right. depending on the, the vessel you put it in or, uh, how long you age it, et cetera. So, I mean, that's kind of the, okay, well, vodka's a given. Uh, but then when you said, okay, well, we know we want to make whiskey. And then how did you get to the point to where, okay, well, why not make gin? Now we're going to make brandy. Now we're going to make rum. What, what was the, what was the kind of the thought process? Because again, you know, you, you it's, it, it, we haven't tasted it yet so far. The first two, uh, hell of a job there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're going to sample these others. Mission accomplished for sure. Yeah. Thanks. Well, we, um, we knew we were going to make the single malt whiskey because when we, when we started planning the distillery and opening, that was the only thing we had. Like, we're definitely making this. We kind of assumed we were going to make a gin. A lot, obviously, a lot of, a lot of craft distilleries like to make gins because it, you can sell it tomorrow. You know, once you make it, it doesn't have to age. You can, um, and you can, you know, and gin so broad as it has juniper, it's gin. Otherwise, you can do anything you want with it and do something really creative and put your mark on the category and that kind of thing. So we, we did that. That came quickly. Then we met some farmers. We're just talking to farmers around things that were being grown in the area to try to explore things we could to use as much local agriculture. Initially was, you know, our single malt, we smoked the grain instead of using peat, we used peach and pecan wood. So we were looking for, you know, get sources of those, those, those woods to smoke the grain with. Um, but so we met uh, one guy also grew sugar cane down uh, near Dothan about an hour or so south of us. Yeah, and sure. so we thought, well, that's cool. We've got sugar cane just down the road. Let's make some rum with it. And it came out nice. So let's, let's roll with that. And then we met some, uh, uh, some Muscadine wineries in the area that mm-hmm. uh, had excess because most of the guys can grow a ton of Muscadines, but they just don't have the, there's not a market, a big enough market. Yeah, what are you going to do with them? Right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, most people don't regard Muscadine wine as the, you know, the top, <laughs> top shelf kind of <laughs> wine, you know, but, uh, I don't want to speak ill of the Muscadine winery. Some are actually doing some nice stuff, but it's just not, his reputation is not. It's, know, it's, so niche. it's a niche. It's a niche for sure. Cal, did you That's go, right. did you go to the brandy next? Uh, you know, I haven't yet, but I pour, I did pour the rum and the brandy. So I was going to let Jimmy direct us on, uh, which, which, uh, which way we were heading there. So, well, if you want to uh, go to the brandy, I'm sitting there chatting about that. So that's fine. We can do that. Yeah. Cool. Let's do that. I, so I'm going to be honest. I drink a lot of bourbon and I drink a lot of rye. Um, I was excited that you sent brandy. Uh, it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, I don't know if you know, sacred bond, right? It's a heaven Hill, but it, one of my favorite, uh, you know, it's a hundred proofer and w- one of my favorite drinks or one of my favorite beverages, I should say. But, uh, yeah, I was really excited to see this muscadine and, and I haven't tasted it yet, even though there's some gone, I sent Dan a sample, but, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to, uh, to get into this one at, uh, and it's an 86 proofer also. And we didn't even mention all the family pets that you've got on the labels. Right. <laughs> yeah, the animals were uh, our designer's idea, and it was, it's a good, it's good for marketing, good for having a recognizable image on the label and that kind of thing. You might remember the animal you saw instead of the name if you you know encountered it. According yeah, to how sure. you, but the brandy. So we just got these these Muscadine wineries, and they have every year they have all this wine they didn't bottle because they they don't, they bottle what they needed to sell, and now they got to clear their tanks to make room for next year's you know, batch. So we said, well, look, we'll buy it. So right now there's three different wineries that we get their excess wine from each year. And we distill that into brandy. And, um, it, 
it's very different. I, I find it to be a much better use of the brandy of the muscadine than than wine. Uh, I think that's also how cognac was born. The region made a wine that they couldn't sure. export, so they had to store it. They distill it to preserve it. And they put it in wooden barrels and it would age, and it got. And now it's what we think of as you know some of the finest brandy in the world now. So I have this sort of pipe dream that I'm going to cultivate the muscadine into something like that over over time. But, um, well, so we I mean, getting- I mean, so so far I can't say that it's not working. So uh, keep well, it <laughs> I mean, you definitely get the, you know, the, the, the muscadine grape notes, especially on the finish. I think I do. It kind of leaves you with that grapey, that's fruit, fruit, like a lot of fruit notes and things. It's Um, fun. It's different. You know, you get those muscadine. I wouldn't never have thought about doing muscadine in a brandy, but it's fun. Yeah. And I get that, you know, and if you like muscadine wine, I think you'll, I think you'll dig this for sure. And we like so, to joke, we, it's officially the world's best muscadine brandy because as far as we know, it's the world's only muscadine brandy. <laughs> You're drinking the best one right there. <laughs> you, you heard it here first, people. You heard it here first. So what I would say is, you know, I mean, we, we're and not making light of muscadine wine, right, by any means. But, you know, generally speaking, you know, muscadine wine is just this, this just overly... For my likings, let me let me uh, let me say that it's this overly sweet, um, you know, grape alcoholic beverage. That's typically what I find muscadine wine is, right? And it's, right. Uh, you know, it's like it's one of those like you you take a sip of it and it's like, well, it wasn't bad, but I'm definitely not going to be able to finish the glass because it, you know, that shit is just so sweet, man. It's like drinking liquid sugar right? right and you know this coming in at 86 proof yeah th- this coming in at 86 proof there's ab- absolutely no burn on the back end i am starting you know i'm picking up some of that i'll call it kind of tannic but I, i'm definitely getting that kind of those the hints of, of grape or muscadine that uh, that remind me i'm drinking it it just doesn't have all that that super rich sweetness on the front end that, you know, some people might find off putting. So it's a good way to enjoy muscadine wine and get a little, uh, get a little more for your bang for your buck. Muscadine wineries, they, they add sugar to the to the fermentations because the, the grape itself is actually pretty low in fermentables. So it would take just an enormous amount of, of grapes to get it to, if you're trying to make a, what well, most wines are in the 13% ish range, right? right? Yep. Uh, so the grape doesn't really lend itself to getting there. So they have to add sugar to bump it up. And that's what tends to make it so like cloyingly sweet sometimes and Kool Aid esque. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. No, this is great though, man. Yeah. It's, I'm definitely getting, you know, kind of that, uh, I'll say the earthiness, right? So if you think about, right. you know, a, a, a grape that you're picking up at the store, right? It's kind of that, that, that really sweet kind of pop. I mean, I am picking up that kind of muscadine, uh, again, that kind of tannic, uh, tannic grape that, uh, that the muscadine is. So yeah, really, really, uh, yeah, really tasty. Uh, this is probably going to go in a cocktail yep. with the rye at some point. So well, I'm looking here, Cal, I'm looking here. So we got rich and creamy. We got on their website that the brandy Alex is brandy, coffee, chocolate, simple, and black walnut bitters. That sounds pretty dang good too. Mm, yeah. Does sound good. Uh, so and um, so, uh, as far as aging this, Jimmy, what are you guys putting the brandy in to age it? We the the brandy goes into our used single malt whiskey barrels. Okay. So the, our single malt's going in virgin virgin oak. Brandy goes in after, as does the the aged rum. We're going to try next. Um, they both are in the used single malt barrels, and it goes about three years. And but we're using quarter casts or fifteen gallon barrels. Okay. Um, so we're using the smaller casts to, you know, get a little more surface contact, just get a little more activity in a shorter period of time. 
And is that for everything you guys are aging in house? It's the right the now. We've just we've just started filling the uh, 53s, the, the traditional size barrels. Um, so we're we're in the we just started the process of making the transition to the from 15s to 53s. But yeah, for so, now, everything we're harvesting is 15s. Okay. So and and was that by? I mean. Obviously, you did it for a reason, but was it was it a necessity, or I mean, was that the plan that you wanted to go quarter cast for for the? Yeah, yeah, we went we went with the quarter cast because of the being you know the. I'm sure you all have encountered this information about the the size of the barrel. The, the smaller the barrel, the greater the surface contact sure. ratio. So, in terms of the the part of the aging that we're commonly going to call extraction. Yep. You speed it up exponentially. We, when we first started doing it, we, we our our main rack house or barrel room, as we like to call it, we would heat and cool it to simulate a season change as well. And so we'd go three weeks hot, then one week cold, and we'd cycle that way. So just kind of I mean, use average Alabama temperatures to you know replicate that. And sure. uh, we even tried to maintain the same you know, typical mo- uh, humidity levels and stuff. So just try to all as many variables as we could control. And that helped. We, what was interesting, I thought really interesting was at, um, we'd always have, we fill about 18 barrels per batch uh, for bottling. And we'd, we'd have all of them in there. We'd leave one out in ambient temperature. And so the, the 17 are going hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And six months later, the ones in the temperature change are significantly better than the one sitting out. Okay. Then we let it go longer Then a year, about a year and a half. There's no difference between the two. And at oh, really? two years and at two years old, the one sitting out was better than the ones temperature cycling. So at some point there was a diminishing returns and it was just a fun, very slow experiment to find out which, you know, what, what was the most effective way to do rapid aging with. And we, we've kind of confirmed that, you know, really time and just mother nature is over time will be the best, best way. But, um, and so we're excited to see what happens with the 53s now too, with the same products in them to see how they, you know, how they're going forward, how that alters how everything ages. Yeah. Is everything. So uh, let me catch up. Is everything temperature controlled that you're doing now? That you're aging? It was. We, we, we got rid of it because once we discovered that okay. at that two year mark, it was better if we don't. So you didn't need I guess it. what yeah. I, I think it, the, they, it, it seemed that the heating and the cooling sped up the, the maturity in the beginning, but then it stunted it later. Hmm. Which doesn't, I mean, I don't really have a good answer as to why. I just know that it, it did it and it did it over and over again. So we, so we realized, okay, we're obviously just need to move to the two year thing. But now the ones that were kind of say two years in weren't as good. All they had to do was be pulled out and left alone for a little bit longer, another six, seven months or so. And they kind of caught up. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, if you think about just from a, from a climate standpoint, I mean, you know, it, it I'd say it gets chilly down here. I don't know that it gets necessarily, I mean, we do have four seasons for sure. Uh, It gets hot, hot as hell, but you know, from a, from a cold standpoint, I don't know if we're getting, you know, if you think about, you know, some folks, uh, states that maybe, uh, you know, several hours North of us, they're probably getting a little more, uh, a little, little, a little more extreme, right. And in the, uh, and yeah, but, but humidity from a humidity perspective, I mean, that's, uh, that's definitely, uh, making some changes, I, I would expect or anticipate. Right. So, well, yeah. I, I'm a. I mean, we're running on the the understanding that the heat is always going to be the best thing for aging 
but if you but with the appropriate amount of cold it's got to cycle back and forth to some extent or it just won't the, the different chemical reactions don't occur right but um but if you can get those chemical reactions and still have predominantly heat you get more is happening in the barrel faster so yeah i think if you were to put the same barrels in like i don't know like caribbean or something like that where it's just hot all year you would lose an enormous amount of angel trail loss and you would have a very dark whiskey, but maybe not as nuanced as if you have at least some kind of, you know, enough of a winter that it's going to cycle, you know, get under, you know, drop a good 13 to 15 degrees on the inside of that barrel, at least a couple times a year. But yeah. yeah so do you, do you foresee that you're going to migrate to 53s uh, all around? You're going to keep a mix in there. What, what's that going to well, look like? There'll definitely be a mix for a time for a certain time um, where, and we don't know what like we, it, to my knowledge, no one's ever aged a whiskey in a 53 gallon barrel in this exact climate. So I don't, yeah. you know, I don't know if anyone's ever done it. So we don't really have a benchmark as to how long it's going to take to get the same quality. We have some, you know, some educated guesses right. that we're looking at probably about four and a half to five years to get the, what we're getting in about two, a little over two years now. Um, and then most of the stuff we're aging in a used barrel, like the brandy and the rum there, they're going three years. Okay. In the 15. So I assume it'd be longer in the, in the 53s. Although when we very first, like only for a very brief time, when we first, first opened, we, we did a couple rounds of five gallon barrels, super small. And, uh, we made the transition from fives to 15s pretty quick because the five gallon barrels kind of kill you in bottom line. Cause your barrel cost is through the roof. Cause the difference right. in cost between any size barrel is not that different. It's not significant. So you're, the bigger you can get, the more you'll say, but the longer it's going to take. So to, to sure. get what you want out of it. But, uh, when we went to 15s, it, it didn't doing the math just based on size and going in and everything. It, uh, it did not take as long as we thought to get the same quality. So we were doing about a year in fives and we were not expecting 15s to be as good in two, but they were better in two. So well, yeah. yeah, there's all, all, yeah. I mean, a little bit of patience and it's like, uh, you never know. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's what I'm sure you, you know, that's what you've learned. I mean, being a, uh, entrepreneur, you know, multiple business owning multiple businesses. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, if you, if you think back to your life prior to distilling and, and now fast forward to distilling, I mean, did you have to be this patient in, in anything else in your life? No, <laughs> I mean, it's no. crazy, right? I we, mean, it's like, it, you know, it, it, it's quick, it's quick, it's quick, it's happening. And then it's like, okay, now just wait. Right, right. It's, it's, it's the toughest thing. And, there's, and we're really blessed that we were, I was able to flip my old business into this. We're not servicing a lot of debt or virtually no debt, really, uh, which is Nice because a lot of I've known other craft distilleries and craft breweries and stuff that just leveraged everything and yeah. they're and so you know they're, they're the the temptation to go early on things is strong and I mean I can't say we weren't guilty of that early on too and we've the longer I do this the more patient I get and the more I realize okay just and the most humbling thing about distilling in general is the less I touch it the better it gets myself from the process yep. uh, my job is to kind of just kick it off and walk away you know, just right. kind of that, that basically. but uh, you know just decide what to stick in that barrel and you know even even with the even with the actual distillation in the very front end of the distillation I got to get the heat just right and do this that and the other by the time I get to the heads cuts about about the best thing I can do is keep myself busy as much as I can. So I don't tinker with knobs and things and yeah. right. slow it yeah. down or mess it up. Just let it, 
let it do its thing. And, uh, and then there's a little bit to do at the tail end, obviously going from the head, the heart to the tail cut. But uh, in the middle, it's just once you learn how to get it set right, it's just, you know, like I say, look, get your hands off it. <laughs> so, so, so I'm going to get nerdy for a second. And right. if you want to if so high, high level for folks that may be listening that don't understand, uh, you know, as you're talking about the tail cut and the head, you want to give us kind of the, 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 you know, the elevator speech on that. Sure, sure. So when you're distilling any any alcohol, any spirit, um, you're, you've essentially made a beer to start with. Um, and so you've made a, a fermented or a wine, I guess, in the case of a brandy, but a fermented beverage. You put that in the still and as you heat it up, the, those yeasts, when they were making, when they were fermenting, they made different alcohols. So if the yeast were very, very comfortable, the right temperature, the right pH, excuse me, they'll make predominantly ethanol. Ethanol is what we want, what we want to consume is what, what we would commonly call the hearts. Um, but they were also going to make heads, which are predominantly methanol, some acetone, some ethyl acetate. They also make what we call tails, which are different kinds of fusel alcohols. Um, so as you know, as the good Lord foresaw it to be that they are, they are neatly compartmentalized so we can remove them. You know, so the heads are, uh, vaporize at a colder temperature. So as you heat up the, 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 what we would call wash or the mash, depending on what you're making. Um, and the first alcohols to come in to add a solution as vapor are going to be the head. So the methanol, the ethanol, the, I'm sorry, methanol, ethyl acetate and acetone, predominantly methanol though. And methanol is the, the alcohol. If you, if you ever have the kind of hangover, you're like, I said, I'm never drinking again. That's just never, I'm never going through this again in my life ever. You drank too much methanol the night before is what that Jimmy, is. Jimmy, I grew out of that years ago. Okay. I, I, I gave up on hangovers. I don't even see them anymore. <laughs> just there you kidding. go. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but I mean, in, in theory though, if you could drink a purely ethanol with no, no heads in, in it at all, you would wake up the next day. You might feel dehydrated or something like that, but your body will consume ethanol and burn it as a sugar essentially where right. methanol your body tries to expel it so you go into almost like a poison protocol in a way and then on the tail end you have what's called the tails those are the fusel alcohols and they don't come until the hottest points of the run run they, they're you know, much warmer than everything else so it takes more heat for them just to become volatile or become vapor and uh, those are mainly the problem with those is just nasty they're nasty tasting it's not so much the um you know where the heads you want to get rid of for just how you feel tomorrow and some, it can make a lot of bite too. It can make it too sharp as well, but mostly it's more of a health issue with heads. Whereas tails is more of just a almost purely a taste situation. Um, but they taste gross. If you ever, when you when we separate the heads, hearts and tails, the best way I can describe the tails is somebody boiled cabbage with pennies in it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really unpleasant. (laughs) Oh boy. Hmm. Sounds, and once you take, once you taste tails totally separate from, you know, isolated, you know, from the distillation and you taste bad spirits or poorly distilled spirits, you cannot miss it. Ever totally again. Like, it's there. Yeah. You know, that, oh, it's, this is all tailsy. People like to say, oh, it's very tailsy, but, but it's a real thing. <laughs> so, so. Hey, this is Brad Bowman, former investigative reporter featured on the Heist documentary here with Birdies and Bourbon. Sit back and enjoy the ride.
And uh, by the way, I did, uh, as you were talking, I've kind of graduated to the rim, which is uh, absolutely fan. Uh oh, we, did we lose him? Uh, he probably just tap his screen. Uh, okay, cool. No, no, all good. Um, so I did graduate. I did graduate to the rum, which is uh, really good. Really good. Thanks. It I'm is trying really to get good. back to video here. It is really yeah. good. I um, I, I've been, I went to it too, Cal, and um, I've been sitting here with the letting it kind of open up and um, getting some great flavors out of it. Yeah. So y'all can hear me, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, we got you. Yep. Okay. There oh, we go. There we got you back. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, I dropped my phone. Fell. Uh, the yeah, the rum is kind of a fun. That was we met some farmers down in, uh, like I said, a place called Headland. If you ever drive into the beach, like, and you go down 431 through Alabama, yeah, and sure. you and you stop Headland's just north of Dothan. It's a cool little country store kind of thing. And this guy, uh, Mr. Joe Todd Syrup Farm, is the name. And Joe Todd is. 95 and still plows his own cane field. <laughs> I mean, he is, uh, oh, well. he needs to write a book on living right because he's cracked some kind of code. I mean, <laughs> him and his son Dewey run the place and they're just super nice people, but they make, um, they grow sugar and they've grown it for generations and they make cane syrup. And so we got with him and we said, well, let's, can we get some and we'll try, we're going to try to make rum out of it. It's funny. His wife didn't want to sell to us at first because we were going to make rum with it. She thought we were, you know, uh -huh. bunch of heat or <laughs> but she all decided right. we were okay after she met us so it was all right but and she told us i wasn't gonna let him sell to you until i met y'all y'all seem okay okay i'll let you buy it but uh anyway so That's we uh, made some rum with it and we enjoyed making it and it's just he's just a neat guy and he's got a lot of a lot of great stories about just cane growing cane making shit syrup he's made it for about eight generations and or his family has. And so they're, they're, they're very passionate about it. And so we're, we have fun making rum from that. And we, so he makes a syrup, we get the syrup and the, that that's nice because the syrup will keep all year. We don't have to like rush to make all the rum. Whereas if you're making like agrico rum, which is made straight from the cane juice, you'd have to pretty much be in the field almost because you don't have a lot of time before that rum starts to, you know, ferment on its own in, in a way you don't want it to, or that cane, I shouldn't say rum, the cane juice, but the syrup. Yeah, well, I mean, will, if, you wind up with bacteria, right? I mean, in the, That's right. or yeah. wild yeast and maybe that, maybe they're good, maybe they're bad, but, um, you're just kind of rolling the dice on that. So, but, uh, yeah, Agrico is great. It's weird. I don't know if you've had a lot of rum Agrico or not. If you see rum spelled R H U M. It's not always, but often rum Agrico. Hmm. No, oh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. We've had, uh, some folks on from Holmes key, um, who else did we have on? Um, God, the, the people. The real McCoy. For not, uh, the, uh, real yeah, McCoy. the real McCoy. And, so, and Mon so, Montagna. Yeah, so, I mean, Montagna. Yeah, Montagna. Yeah, so we've definitely gone through uh, kind of both both variations, right? And and typically where, uh, you know, kind of the island rums, I would call it. But again, I mean, it's, you know, they're still using, they, in some of those, they're using some syrups. But uh, I think most of the folks that we've had on the show previously, they were using, uh, you know, the actual cane. So, uh, so yeah, just, just a different process, not, uh, you know. And, and yeah. I, I mean, I would say a little bit of a different taste. Uh, I don't I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's Coke or Pepsi, right? I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean one's bad or one's better. It's what do you like? And, you know, what are you kind of extracting from those flavors? Well, and the French, the French distinguish it between yeah. rum agrico and rum industrial. And then, you know, rum industrial, I guess, meaning industrial rum, because it's made from the byproduct of refining sugar, which is molasses. 
and then rum and, and agricole straight from the juice. So just juicing the cane, making this rum. This rum is in between because it's it's old school cane syrup, which is just the juice cooked down to syrup, and that's it. There's no so it, it keeps some of the it keeps a little bit of the some of the more like botanically floral notes you get from a. Uh, from the cane juice, but it also has some of that caramelization you get from making the syrup. So it, in my mind, it kind of dances in the middle of the two for go. the most part. In, in my mind, it's going to make a great rum groni. So uh, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> that, that, that's what it's going into. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing with it. There you go. Uh, and and it, it's great on its own. So, so yeah, th so age three years. And that, so that's where I was kind of going to go next was, so with uh, we've got brandy, we've got rum. Uh, you're doing some pretty cool things with the uh, pecan infused. Uh, we're gonna bounce in a second. We're gonna be over to um, hold on, Cal. to your single malt whiskey, which is also no, no, no. I don't, I don't want to go that far yet. But no, no. no but I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of going like, what's your? Are we barrel finished? in rum or brandy barrels yet with any of your uh, bourbon or whiskey? Oh, that's, yeah, we have kind of an ancestral little loop here going on with our spirits, I guess. We were starting, every, the, the whiskeys are going in virgin casks, and then the right now everything's aging in, in the, the single malt barrels. We, that's what we make the most of. Um, but there are some intentions to take those, turn those around and do some finish age, agings with whiskeys on those post- so it'd be like whiskey, back to rum, back to whiskey. We're doing a little bit of what we call beer back series now, which full disclosure, we ripped off from cast mates hundred percent, but, um, <laughs> but we just call it our beer back series where we go and we, you know, a lot of people are doing it. We get with a brewery, they take our whiskey barrel, they age a beer sure. and then we get it back. We have one we're about to harvest where the barrel had been, um, whiskey first, obviously. And then we use it to make a barrel rested gin. We let we put our gin in the barrel for nine months and it becomes barrel rested gin, and then we gave it to the brewery and then we got it back, put whiskey back in it, and that's about to be harvested this week. And so I'm super interested to see what that. Well, you went whiskey so, gin, whiskey gin, beer whiskey. So you're gonna have a um, a whiskey beer gin finished whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. Well, whiskey, I, I, I gin, mean, beer. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it might be. It, it might be awful. It might be fantastic. I'm in, we'll see. I'm in. I'm intrigued, man. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, people are doing crazy things with these finishes, right? And, and it's right. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to say it's like the flavor of the month. I mean, because there are definitely brands that have kind of built. Um, there are, are juices out there that have built their brand on uh, on on finished product. Right. Oh, so, and, and, and port cast is probably the, you know, the, the one that's probably most familiar to everybody. Uh, right. but there's, there's definitely plenty of other things that are happening and, and, you know, rums one that we're really starting to see a lot of out there. So, uh, again, I mean, with the rum and what you've got, uh, I think this is 86 proof. What's up with 86 proof? Is that just 86 uh, proof is the, the natural point where alcohol will, um, not it, it's resistant to um flocculation or more resistant to flocculation where the alcohol won't you don't need chill filtration to filter it at that point or anything that are stronger so that's where we that's that's where we landed on that for the most part gotcha and is is john emerald getting into is we're going to kind of migrate over to and unless you had something 
Uh, we're going to migrate over I, to the single malt. Are you getting into I the... Um, I had... Yeah, um, so the summertime sunset is one of their cocktails for the summer cocktail menu with, uh, with a silver rum, hibiscus, simple pineapple, and lime. That sounds really good, too. Ooh. Yeah. You're picking out all the sides. <laughs> What's that? What'd you say, Jimmy? So you're picking out all the most popular cocktails. There you go. The there you go. There you go. <laughs> they all look really good. I'm going to point them out. So, <laughs> Cal, can you name the number one song in 1986? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say it was uh, Genesis or Phil Collins. Uh, Feel it in the air tonight. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's close. It's close. Uh, that's well, hold what, on. Hold oh, on. Wait okay, a minute. Wait okay. a minute. Jimmy may want to take a stab at it. <laughs> well, now hold on, Jimmy, before you answer, because Dan totally set me up on this because he didn't say, was it top 40? Was it a country station? Oh, let's go this week. Let's go this week, this week, 1986. Top song this week, 1986. Mm -hmm. Phil Collins was close. Billy Joel, something or other. It's close too. Billy, close too. That uh, wrong. <laughs> Genesis. I, I, I just named the artist. I didn't even give a song. So. Genesis was number three with Invisible Touch, Cal. Um, okay. Kenny Loggins was number two with Danger Zone, and number one, you know that I have, you know, you know how much I love this song, Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. Oh, I mean, I was so close. I was so close. I was. So you had the close. right to member of the pre previous member of the same of the right band exactly exactly I, yeah i mean i feel like i ought to get like an extra drink for that or something <laughs> there you go as a, as, a, as, a, as a matter of fact i'll just pour my own uh so uh so jimmy where i wanted to go with this was um single barrels so are are we are you to the single barrel spot yet or are we still are we blending what's kind of happening and 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 on based on that answer what's the future for right we um right now we're vatting roughly 10 or so barrels together at a time um and we have done a few single barrel releases but mostly for specific customers that have reached out and said we want like a there's a package store in the huntsville area called uh, windmill package store they they wanted some, so we said, all right, well, come, you know, they came down, they, they tasted through some and did it. We've done a couple single barrel releases for, uh, I'll enough for some weddings, things like that. But, um, for the most part, we, we want to do more of that. Cause I think it's, you know, it's, and we also want to, we, we did it. We've done two barrels so far. And these are 15 gallon barrels now. So it wasn't a ton, but, uh, barrel strength. Sure that 114 proof. And, um, those are very popular. We're always, cause we're a pretty small operation. We're always kind of dancing around, you know, keeping the sort of the standard available and, and we're growing, but we're, but we're, but we're laying down a lot more whiskey all the time. We've made a big push this, um, this year, actually, we just kind of made, had some heart to hearts with everybody involved and said, like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna do it. We're going to go like, we're, we're, we're feeling about, 250% more this year than we did last year oh, wow. in preparation for, you know, just we're, we're, we're having to pass on some opportunities for further distribution, that kind of thing. Cause we're just trying to be careful about not selling ourselves into an empty cart, you know, that kind of thing. So, sure. but, but we do want to do, as we get more inventory, our plan is to do more single barrels or barrels, you know, and probably muscles would be at barrel strength. I would think 
from nine yeah. times out of 10. And then, uh, yeah. So, if, so if I wanted to get a, I mean, is that available for purchase anywhere? Do you have, uh, I mean, is there barrel strength out there that it, the it got bought up in a flash? And now that I, okay. it's possible at this point that, that the windmill package store up in Huntsville, that they might have some bottles left, but as, but I'd have to, I honestly don't know off the top of my head if they still have inventory or not, but yeah, yeah I got you. But they, they're the ones that would have it if it exists. And, but we're definitely, we're going to try to do another couple barrels this, you know, going into maybe like in the September, October month and get just ready, for, you know, kind of getting ahead of holidays and that kind of thing and do some, something special for that. You know, well, when you're, when you're tasting those or like if a bottle were to get set aside for special occasions and you need somebody to, uh, drink it, talk about it, maybe a little review. I, I know two guys that could be available. Okay. Just saying, just saying, just saying. <laughs> uh, so, and so here's the, so I don't know, you know, it's like one of those things, right? I mean, as you're, as you're drinking whiskey or, or spirits and, and you think about, okay, well, what does it taste like and what happens? And if, you know, if you just go in blind, which we typically, uh, we'd like to do that a lot, right? Just the blind tasting. So there's no preconceived notions, right? You sure. kind of get what you get. Uh, I swear it, it's and this is not the single malt is not a flavored whiskey. Um, it but I, you know I, I looked on the back and I saw the pecan and I saw the peaches, and I love peaches. I I'll say I eat a lot of them. I guess I don't know if how you measure if you eat a lot of peaches or not. But I've always loved peaches, and holy shit, am I getting a lot of peach out of this thing? Like it and not like a flavored. It's like this just this nuance that kind of sitting back there in the palette. And I'm like, that's, and I'm like, I don't know if I read it and it's just kind of, I wanted to find it, but I'm definitely finding it in the peach wood. That's uh, that's happening with this thing. That's uh, yeah, the single malt here. Cal. Yeah, yeah. 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 Really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. Eat a peach was a great album too. <laughs> Noted. The uh, one of the, that that's, we did a, my father and I both attended a, a school uh, with distilling course in Chicago at the place called the Siebel Institute. And the Dave Pickerel was one of the instructors of it. Oh, nice. And so that was kind of interesting to get to pick his brain a little bit. And, and, you know, he was at the time, he was doing lots of uh, consulting for craft distilleries and that kind of thing. That was a lot of what, what he was working on at the time. And, uh, and there was a lot of talk about rapid aging techniques and how people do it right and how you do it wrong. And there's lots of misinformation out there about how it can't be done. You know, because, you know, obviously big producers don't want, the word out there that it can be done right, but it, it's, but most people do it wrong, honestly. But, uh, anyhow, he was one of, so one of the things that you can't, that he, he brought up was like, it's difficult to accomplish in rapid aging is some of the more, the, the higher fruit notes you might get in a more mature, just over time, just certain esters that create those flavors, those kind of fruity notes, uh, just take more time. And, so he was basically saying a lot, a lot of people do is they figure out some way to insert that a different way. And we thought, well, that's it. We, we knew we were going to do this stuff with smoke because we wanted, we wanted to replicate, kind of do what we, what I did in Scotland with peat, but we don't have peat here. So we wanted to use local fuel sources. So we, we were going to use pecan. Of course, we have a lot of peach orchards around us as well. And so we used the peach. And what I was just immediately amazed by is how much the smoke of the wood imparts its fruit or, or whether the fruit be the nut or the peach, it imparts that in the whiskey just through the smoke, which is, I thought was just so amazing because there's no peach added. There's no pecans added. There's just, we just burn 
peach and pecan wood under trays full of barley and it absorbs the smoke flavor and it imparts that to the to the whiskey so it's a nice it's just pretty cool to me how this it just that flavor what that tree makes is all through it you know that's what's been it's a yeah I, thing to learn yeah overly cool that you're doing a um you're using uh, a process that's I don't know how many thousands of miles away in in, a, in another country, in right. uh, you know in in mid, middle Alabama, right, central Alabama, right. if you will. But um, yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, yeah, totally awesome, man. Um, yeah, if you if you don't know and you haven't tried John Emerald, this he does this, you know, <laughs> it's his internet. <laughs> He'll be back in a minute, but no, this is uh, just start naming a spirit and uh, you're back. Cal. You're back. Oh, I'm back. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, every now and then, you know, it's the, it's the liquor talking, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where I, 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 I don't know where I got cut off at, but I was just saying like, yeah, if you, if you're not drinking, if you haven't tried John Emerald, uh, any, any of their expressions, uh, no matter what you like to drink, they've got something available, uh, clear, uh, juniper, uh, you want dark, you want rye, you want mint, you want, uh, you want peaches. It, it's there, man. Yeah. This is, uh, again, we, we, we really appreciate you, uh, you sharing this with us. I almost and, see like yeah, an abs really, really, absinthe uh, next, right? Cal? Uh, <laughs> mm, I don't know. Maybe we are, we are, we are working right now on uh, in kind of, we're pretty close. We, in fact, I just got the shipment of labels in today. We're working on three flavors of liqueur oh. that we're going to launch here. We're trying to, we're hustling to try to get it done for the holidays to sort of test it out during the shift buying season, but we're pretty excited about the, how those are coming out. So you don't have to say yes, but you also don't have to say no. <laughs> are we going to get a, uh, like an Alabama sweet cream? We are not, have not got that on the docket, but uh, okay. that's not to say, I wouldn't say never on that, but uh, we, I mean, I don't mind telling you what we're launching. We're doing a, a fig liqueur, a pecan oh, liqueur, and a cool. satsuma liqueur. That's cool. That's really cool. Okay. Yeah, nice. I like, I like that. Satsuma, of course, I don't know if you know, that's the local citrus thick rose in Georgia and Alabama. Say the name again. I'm sorry. A satsuma. Satsuma. It's an interesting little story. It's the, the a Japanese princess gave the trees to a the wife of a dignitary uh, american dignitary that was from alabama um as a gift and she planted them and they did well and now there's satsuma orchards all over south georgia and alabama so it's it's a it's, it's starting to grow in awareness uh, most people know the what's called a cutie the little the little yeah. mandarin you can get that's that's closely related to a satsuma cool satsuma was a little bigger though but it's but not a it's not a kumquat right no, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's more akin to it's eats more like an orange, much more and sweeter. I got you. Than, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, so anyhow, we're making, it's basically an orange liqueur, but we just wanted to use again, what I like to use as much local agriculture as we can. So, so Satsuma it is. Mm, so now we, so now we got to come up with, uh, some kind of agave based, uh, so we get oh, a that's already done. out of that <laughs> orange. Here, I'll, uh, oh, we've already got an agave. Yeah. I'll pull a bottle. I'll show you a test. Uh, I'll walk over here. <laughs> Where's my bottle? There we go. Get oh. the lights. Oop, am I aiming badly? Yeah. Oh, no, you're good. There it is. There uh, we go. Yep, the yep. There we go. There. Oh, oh sweet. 
So, <laughs> armadillo. Yeah. So right another, now another, fam- another family pet. Hey, Cal. That's uh, right. A little yeah, bit expand. is better than not. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we have the Blanco, and then in October, we'll have the first barrel of um, of um, Añejo ready. I mean, you are so setting things up to be a uh, like a, a finished whiskey repository, man. I'm t- I mean, <laughs> rum, brandy, tequila. I mean, this is you know, it, it's uh, it's well. So, what's your opinion? And sorry if we're keeping you a little too long, Jimmy. Oh no, no, it's all right. Uh, you, yeah, yeah. So, what's your take on? Uh, um, I may have, I may have asked this, but I didn't ask it as direct as I'm going to ask it now, you know, and you're, you're using some unique, uh, processes to finish your whiskeys already or, or finish your spirits already. Let me rephrase that. What do you think about the whole, you know, from, from a craft distillery, what's your take on the whole barrel finishing processes that are, that are out there today? And do you see that as something that's going to stick around or do you think it's kind of, um, uh, you know, is it, is it just, uh, you know, is it like, eh, it's cool for the moment. I I think it's going to stick around. I mean, I think that there's, I mean, I think the, the Scotch industry probably drove that initially because they're so limited legally on what they can, they can do with their stills and things like that. So, the way to differentiate was finish aging. And then even historically, I mean, while they predominantly use bourbon barrels now, everybody kind of agrees that pre-America, that it was mostly important sherry barrels or fortified wine barrels that they were using. And they don't really have their own forests, at least not enough of them to, to make their, you know, virgin oak. So yeah, that, so that it's sort of shifted, but so they're kind of, in a way, they're getting back to their roots in a way, you know, but I think that it just opens up the door and I don't think there's always going to be new brands and new people putting out new iterations, wanting to differentiate themselves. And I think that finish aging is a great, fun, great way to do it. And it offers, you know, consumers something new to try and new ways to see what goes nice together and different together. And I think it's, I think it's a fun trend and I think it's, I suspect it's going to continue. Yeah, as do I. I don't see see that it's something that's going. Well, I guess I'll say it like this: as long as people keep making good product, I think it's something that you know, folks like ourselves, right? It's like, hey, I I don't just go in and look for the black label with a number on it, and that's a, you know, that's my drink, and that's all I want. By God, right, I'm right. having that one. You know, it's like it's like how do we how do we kind of get outside of that and see what other people are doing? And again, with with uh, you know what how you're using kind of you know the the uh, I'm going to say local, right? But the the state, uh, what's provided in your region, and you know, you're able to now turn that into something that we can drink. I, I think that's a whole lot of fun, and especially to be able to hear these stories and and stories like yourself, right? And and it's like, hey, we, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to stay. I want to. I want to be closer to my family. I want, uh, you know, and, and uh, what a what a cool story to be able to say that. Hey, my dad and I did it, and we, you know, originally we did it because of my daughter. Yeah, yeah right. really, really fun story, man. Yeah. Thanks. Now I have my son. Uh, my son, when he was four years old, he was driving. We were driving. He's seven now, so it was a few years ago. But he was in the back seat, and he says, "I guess somebody got in his head." But he he goes, "Daddy, are you?" Are you still gonna like me if I'm not a whiskey man when I grow up? <laughs> <laughs> 
What'd you say? Well, I said no, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't say that. Hey, hey, that, that's when you know you're talking to you're talking with someone from Alabama when they says, "Yeah, my son, he's seven. We're driving in the car," and it's like, "Oh, he was driving." It's like, "Oh yeah, we start him young." <laughs> uh, okay, so so Jimmy, I don't I don't want to hold you up too much longer. Right. Uh, I I could sit here and just keep drinking, but Dan yells at me when I get too uh, you know. <laughs> When I, when I get too ahead of myself. So if you're not drinking John Emerald, and, and maybe just to put this in context for people that may not be familiar with John Emerald, uh, we talked a lot about scotch, but if you're not drinking John Emerald product, what are you drinking? Oh, me? Um, I, oh, yeah. I mean, I enjoy a lot of different things. Um, like I said, I kind of come from a more of a scotch drinking background. Um, I really like, one of my favorites is Balmore. Uh, that's, I like, I like that. I think, I feel like it's one of the more balanced of the Islay stuff. Otherwise I tend to like the Highland, um, mm. bridles, mm -hmm. uh, like your, um, I don't know. Uh, Highland park is a great one for sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, right. Yeah. But outside of that, I mean, I, I, I try to keep changing it up a lot. I like to try a lot of different, as much as I can. Uh, you know, if I see something weird I've never had, I want to let me get some of that, you know, I'm gonna see what it is. And, and, you know, I, and I, I, you know, you said earlier about the barrel, if there's people doing weird things with the aging, that's what I really want to, that's, I'm definitely gravitate to try. I want to try it and see what they're doing. And I mean, it kind of ruins you a little bit if you do distill because you're tasting things with a, maybe a, what, what, what I do do I want to steal here kind of thing. You know, kind of, if, if there's a good one or something like that, but, uh, but but you know, but still it's enjoyable to try everything. And it's just, I, I like to just change it up as much as I can. You know, I think if you're friendly with it, I think it can not be considered stealing and it could Absolutely. just be called borrowing and repurposing. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like a good go yard sale, right? You know, it's like, yeah, hey, why, well, why not? <laughs> I had, I had a, a, a professor that in college that I, I really always did lots of one-offs that, that was stuck in my head. And one was that good ideas are there for stealing. That's what a good idea. That's what they're for. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, somebody, somebody's proud of it, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so what's, uh, we, we, we did talk about the liqueurs we've got coming up for, mm -hmm. uh, for John Emerald distilling, uh, anything on the, uh, I guess a little more spirit forward or higher proof. We talked about some barrel picks. What's, what do you, where's, where's John Emerald, uh, this time next year, what do we see what's happening outside of the liqueurs? Right. On, on the whiskey fronts and spirits for me, obviously whiskey is always our focus. M my goal is by this time next year to already have laid, we're, we're trying to acquire the equipment right now. Um, but, but to have laid down at least it'll be, it won't be out of the barrel yet, but to have bourbon and rye that's made here in house from local farmers, grain and that kind of stuff to yeah. have that on uh, in the works and on the way. Um, we're also engaged in some, some campaigns with we're, we're, we're kind of partnering with uh, Auburn University and Texas, uh, or, I'm sorry, Texas, Alabama A&M um, are both partnered with uh, Hudson Alpha, which is a big agricultural company, and they are growing barley in Alabama and they've grown it. They've proven what will grow. Now we're working on malting those varietals and doing test batches. So we're trying to get involved with that. Uh, we are involved with that and we're doing some runs and test batches. So we're also hoping to move the barley we use to, to locally grown as well. 
and we're just we just you know, we're plugging away. I'm just trying to lay it out as much whiskey as possible, so we have more flexibility to do to be able to do more um, more barrel picks and barrel sure. strength fit releases and things like that. And hopefully, to get that into more of a constant, you know, part of, part of the rotation more more regularly instead of just being once or, once or twice a quarter or something like that. But, right, but, right. So that's yeah. really our Dan. goal. My thoughts. I loved the uh, single malt. I thought that was fantastic, guys. And um, I, lo- I loved some of the, all the all of them were great. Um, the single malt I thought was like you guys. I mean, that was one of your flagships, right? Oh, that's the that's my baby for mm-hmm. sure. Right? But that was the whole thing was built around that brand, that product for sure. Yeah. yeah. So when people are coming to visit you, and I know you have um, a lot of things going on at your facility. In terms of like diamonds of the rough or things people would want to do around you, what, what what would you recommend people do in terms of you know like a trip? Oh, in, yeah, in the town. You mean yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Opelika is a great town. We want, if you like to golf, we've got fantastic golf courses. I mean, there's a embarrassment of riches in golf courses in the the Lee County area between Auburn and, and Opelika. Um, I don't golf myself, but I'm told that they're really good. But, That's good. Um, That's good. Yes, they are. Was that? <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Yeah, the downtown Opelika is a you know sort of being renovated in about two thousand four or five. I'm told. I, I moved here obviously much later than that, but um, it's just a really cool downtown. We've got a lot of great restaurants and uh, open container law, so you can get a cocktail and stroll around with it if you want, and, and that kind of thing to check the place out. Uh, we also have two breweries within a block of us. Six. I think it's six now dip restaurants at all, you know, from super casual to white tablecloth, all really nice stuff. And uh, a couple of good bed and breakfast. It's a nice, it's a, it's a, it's a nice place. It's a great day trip, especially if like in the Atlanta or Columbus, we're about an hour South of the Atlanta airport or 45 oh. minutes from Columbus, Georgia. We're only about an hour North of Montgomery. Hmm. And then about two hours south of Birmingham, so we're we're pretty good location as far as being close to a lot of things, and it's. Um, but we love we love how people come down and hosting them, give them a tour, and you know, expose them to the brand and let them enjoy some cocktails and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, a lot of great places to eat as well. So a lot of good, a lot of good what, food. What's, what, what's a go to? So if I'm coming into town and I'm grabbing mm-hmm. dinner, where where, where are you send to me? Uh, if you want to, if you want to stay close to the distillery, I recommend it as a place called Zazu's right around the corner. Um, they, it's sort of a, you know, farm to table concept. You know, it's a, it's a, everything from burgers to, you know, really nice fish plates and things like that, steaks and everything else. So, and then, uh, but then also in the, the greater area, which I, mean, Aub- I think of Auburn and Opelika as one town that you really can't tell when you drive from one to the other for the most part. They're, right. they're definitely people that grew up here do not see it that way. <laughs> they're more competitive with each other for sure. <laughs> but uh, people that move here after the fact kind of see as one, one larger town together. And uh, there's some great restaurants over there too. Uh, the, the Hound is one of my favorites and in, in, uh, also a place called the Depot in mm. Auburn. They're great restaurants. Um, it just, there's, uh, we've got a James Beard winner uh, mm. restaurant at, uh, called Acre in, Al- in Auburn. It's really great. 
and they have, uh, we also have some fantastic barbecue places. Uh, the same chef that did Acre does a place called Bow and Arrow, and then another, which is a barbecue centric place. But then, what I, my favorite barbecue in the area is a place called Butcher Paper. It's a they actually got started. Out of, I've heard of that place. Yes, yes, it's super good. They've won. They've only been open for a few couple of years, but they've won every barbecue competition. Barbecue competition they've entered. They they don't enter like the, they enter like local like favorite barbecue that kind of thing, but. Um, they they actually started cooking out of the distillery when we had a, we have concerts here sometimes things like that and when they when they did they would come and they grill and set up and barbecue all day and sell to the event and then he evolved from that to building a trailer and then he did like a food truck kind of thing and now he's got a brick and mortar joint and it's been fun to watch them evolve and grow Perfect. and awesome. now they got a second location in Auburn uh, called Rob's Ribs and both are just fantastic so it's weird. And I'm, did, I'm did, did you say, Jimmy, did you say the other, did you say it was bone and marrow or bow and, bow arrow? and arrow? Okay. I, and I, I, the whole time you're talking, I can't stop thinking about why in the hell is there not a restaurant, especially if it's meat based, that's called bone and marrow. Yeah. Right. That would be a good one. Instead of bow and arrow. So I, there I you think, go. You got I, I think I'm getting ready to open up a restaurant. There you go. I'll, I'll have to be, look forward to getting you to carry some John Ember products at bone and marrow easy enough. <laughs> and Cal, Jimmy and I didn't talk about this, but we did do some research and they recommend you don't go into town. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time I've been, uh, you know, taken out back. I can go ahead and tell you that, uh, Jimmy sharp. It has been such a pleasure, sir. Thanks again for sharing this with us. Um, uh, you know, if I didn't like it, I'd tell you, I didn't like it, but oh, I good. can't say that. And I can say that I don't know. I mean, this muscadine uh, brand. I'm going to have to hide it. So you know, I've got an early morning. So I'm definitely <laughs> going to have to not get in. But, and, and to be honest with you, this rum is. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're a dark rum drinker, uh, John Emerald rum, it's a, I think you said, uh, this is put down for three years, right? Age three, three years. years. That's right. Yep. And, uh, and it's, it's got a, Fancy fighting rooster. I don't know if I can say fighting. It's got a fancy rooster, a male chicken on the front of it, which, you know, I, I, I loved everything that you're doing, man. I mean, so, so in, you talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the show with, you know, the, Hey, there's also a business side or marketing side or growing side to the brand. And, um, I think that everything that you're doing, I mean, what I see in the colors and the simplicity and the transparency that's happening, man, it's, um, it, yeah. Uh, gr great job at uh, at John Emerald Distilling Company, man. Awesome, Jimmy. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Um, so, how do people find you? How do they get your booze? How do they uh, how do they get connected and come see uh, uh, the Sharp family at John Emerald Distilling? Yeah, I mean, the best way to find out where where to find our products is on our website. JohnEmeralddistilling.com. We have a where to buy section that you know lists a lot of the places that are carrying us. Um, we're we're not distributed in every state. We are uh, a lot of our products are available on a few clubs like uh, Flaviar, things like that. Mm -hmm. If anybody's involved in those things, mm -hmm. and we're looking at we're got some talks coming about getting involved in a few more of those kind of e-commerce type uh, avenues to get, get, you know, reach out to people. Um, as far as coming to the distillery, we're open five or six days a week, uh, noon, noon on, um, weekdays, we close a little or like 10 and the weekends or midnight. And 
we, if anybody's passing through, right, we're less than a mile off the interstate, I-85, so we're easy to get to, and it's a great little town. It's a great stop on a trip if you're looking to just, you know, take a stop on a longer drive. It's a good place to be. Awesome. 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 Jimmy, thanks so much, man. It was great, uh, great having you on, and uh, looking forward to getting down. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, sample in person, man. Cheers. 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 Thank you. Cheers.